Welcome to the journal.ie's The Explainer. This is a bonus episode brought to you by our investigative platform Noteworthy, where we carry out journalistic projects based on ideas sent to us by the public. I'm Susan Daly, and this week at Noteworthy, our Nile Sargent teamed up with journalist Ella McSweeney to look at Ireland's farm subsidy model and the role it has played in the dual biodiversity and climate crises that we are now facing. So, Niall and Ella, thank you for joining us today. Um, I'd like to kick off, let's chat farming. Farming is in our blood, it's a big part of our economy, big part of our history. But in recent years, it's also taken a big part of the blame for climate change and biodiversity loss in Ireland. Ella, why is that? I think another way of looking at it is that it also has a huge role to play and a very positive role if we can get it done right. I mean, what happens on state-owned land is obviously significant, but the reality in Ireland of land ownership is that it's in private hands. Um, 62% or so is used for agriculture. So what happens on farms matters. And the problem, I suppose, is is that if you look at the data, um, there's a very difficult picture that's painted. Um, So we have, for example, 85% of European protected habitats in serious trouble. And scientists would say that one of the main drivers of this is agricultural practices. We have the disappearance of intact peatlands and wild grasslands. We have one third of wild bee species that will go extinct by 2030. Um, And a quarter of Irish bird species are in long term decline. And we know, for example, and certainly from Niall's work, you know, the iconic curlew and corncrake, they are teetering on the edge of extinction. We also, alongside that, have a very serious, I would say, uh, problem with water pollution, with too much nutrients in our waters. Um, Human sewage is part of that story, but scientists can now identify the source of nutrients and they will point to uh, intensive agriculture, particularly dairying, as one of the key problems. Um, And then we have the fact that agriculture is the most significant contributor to Ireland's carbon emissions in and around 35%, according to the EPA. So these things aren't easy. But one thing is very clear, without farmers being on board, we have zero hope of addressing climate and biodiversity crises that we're in. And the question now really is about urgency. Um, Can we move fast enough? And the scientists are very clear on this. We need urgent action an action that's correct. Can we move fast enough to to um, encourage and support farmers to help us address these crises? That's, I mean, zero hope, as you say, without moving forward with the farmers. That's pretty stark. Um, but as you explain, it's also to do with the fact that we have so much of our land in, in kind of agricultural private hands that obviously if things are going wrong there, there's a disproportionate impact on our environmental outputs um, or protections. And Niall, as Ella said, we have spoken before about the biodiversity crisis, our beloved curlews. We talked about puffins the last time being in trouble. Um, so, I mean, farming in that area and that disproportionate effect um you know, peat soils, there are, there are lots of things around the habitats that are in trouble there. Could you just, I suppose, sum up for us a little bit more about, about why farming is being spoken in that area? Yeah, I think Ella touched on it very well there, the impacts that we have from farming on, on biodiversity and on the climate in, in Ireland. Maybe something people aren't too aware of is that about a quarter of our bird species are under significant uh, threat in Ireland. As you mentioned, several of those species, those iconic species like the curlew, corncrake, hen harrier, puffin, uh, a lot of them are in trouble 
the point that people don't necessarily know is that they're associated with farmlands traditionally. And as we've intensified our production on farm using you know, larger machineries at much more extended times of the years when these species might be, be breathing or looking for foraging for food. Um, and we have more chemicals on the farm. We have a more runoff into the water streams for a, a more intensified system with more livestock. This all has an impact on on those on those uh, very endangered or troubled bird species that would be iconic, as well as we mentioned the water pollution side of it. There are you know several species on the threat there, like the freshwater pearl mussel. But on top of that, just the issue of the water contamination or pollution in general, we have very, very few high quality water sources left that they've fallen off a, off a cliff um, and agriculture is identified as a key threat on that. And another one which kind of touches on both the climate and environmental side of things is the ammonia emissions from livestock or from farming in general, should I say that accounts for farming accounts for about 99 percent of our ammonia emissions in Ireland. And those emissions are having a huge impact, not just on air quality, but also the quality of our soil and water quality as well. So there are significant threats identified um, by by state agencies, by scientists from agriculture. So something has to really, really change there if we're going to tackle the dual crises of, of climate and biodiversity. I mean, change fast, Ella. You were saying that um, we are looking at, I suppose, the world's environmentalists, um, policymakers coming together in Glasgow for COP26. Um, you know, that's coming up and there's a lot of focus on this. But within Ireland, there's been a lot of conversation about how farming subsidies are perhaps supporting a particular model of farming. Um, in relation to that, I suppose, environmental change, we're talking a very common um, phrase that we, we've all known for a long time, the Common Agricultural Policy or CAP. I think whether you're from a city or from the countryside in Ireland, we've all have heard of this. But it's widely been known to be a bit of an issue. So I think we should maybe break this down for people who are listening to us who have heard of CAP are not entirely sure what it is and how it works. Ella, will you please help me through this labyrinth? <laughs> well, I mean, the first plea I would say to anyone listening is please don't switch off. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I think about the common agriculture policy at night, and you know, to help me fall asleep. You know, it is sort of dense, and convoluted, <laughs> and it is quite frankly, I mean, it can be quite boring <laughs> to think about, but it, it, of course it shouldn't be because it is the single most powerful policy that could address these issues that we're facing. Um, not only climate and biodiversity, but also things like, you know, access to healthy, affordable food um, and, and other things, actually really vital things like providing a fair and better way for women to have control over land and all the rest. But anyway, briefly to understand it, we need to put ourselves back into the time in post-World War II Europe. Uh, you know, Europe had experienced severe food rationing, poverty and starvation. Uh, that went with that time. And so it is little surprise that politicians across the board put food and farming at the top of their concerns. And they decided together that peace across a war ravaged Europe would come with prosperity and uh, frankly, a, food, a full plate of affordable food for all. And so they put down a huge amount of public money on the table. And so they said farmers would be supported on price. They'd be subsidized to produce more food, which they could then sell frictionless and friction free across EU borders. So from a farming perspective, it was extremely important and exciting time. And in return, the public were promised, you know, food at reasonable prices and lots of it. And so it was then very much about food security, a remarkable feat, really. 
Um, the problem is, is that that thinking still pervades a lot of the thinking about CAP, which is about producing more and more food. And it has become very controversial in that money has flowed into the hands of a few. And some people would argue that the CAP has actually been a driver of nature loss and has increased emissions. Um, but today it is a very different kind of CAP. So you have more social, environmental and rural supports with a similar you know, eye-watering budget. I mean, it's a third of the total EU budget, about 55 billion uh, across Europe. And I, I think the key reason for me it's not boring is the power that it can be used to serve, serve public interest, but also it's all our money. So as you know, self-employed people out there right now are looking towards paying their taxes at the end of this month. A portion of those taxes will go to the cap. And the question that we all need to ask is, what are we getting in return? And is it being spent uh, in the public interest as well as being spent in a way to make sure that farmers are economically viable? And, and these are the really important critical questions when it comes to, as we keep talking about these you know, twin bi uh, biodiversity and climate crises. Mm -hmm. I mean... Ella, it's it's a it's a really interesting jump from the origins of the cap, um, where the crisis was food food security in Europe, and now the crisis is entirely different, but the cap hasn't necessarily changed pace. And I think that you have picked up on a very interesting point there, which is we probably have this idea as a general public that it's like the EU passing funds directly to Irish farmers, but our own Department of Agriculture is playing a major role here. So they, they, they there is work that can be done within Ireland itself, right? A major role. I mean, you know, the cap isn't just a one size fit all. And that has always been the case, but increasingly politically in Europe, and this is particularly true, I would guess, post-Brexit, Member states have, have more control over how the cap is implemented in their countries. So it's not, it's less about those sort of bureaucrats in Brussels and what they're telling us to do over in the west of Ireland. It is more about the Department of Agriculture and the civil servants in there who decide how this money is spent, um, you know, being responsible for the cap as implemented through, you know, the Irish lens, if you like. And because of this, you know, I think it is very important that we, we look at where, as, as my, I've said before, the public interest is or is not served. I mean, their autonomy is somewhat limited, I would add, in that they are legally required to effectively involve the relevant authorities uh, at regional level and also the public competent authorities for environment and climate. So in Ireland, that would be the National Parks and Wildlife Service, the Department of the Environment, the Department of Housing, who's actually across um, water use, and also the Environmental Protection Agency. So the Department of Agriculture are legally required to effectively involve them. But essentially, the buck stops with the Department of Agriculture. Um, and that is where we need to look in terms of getting the answers that we need to think about, you know, how the money is being spent and if it's being spent effectively. Right. And central to understanding the impact of that, how it's being spent and so on, is actually looking at the farmers on the ground and what they're having to deal with. So rather than setting ourselves up in opposition to farmers, I mean, they, they are really trying to make this work. And Ella and both you and Niall have met farmers as part of this noteworthy project um, and got an insight into what's happening on the ground. Uh, Ella, who did, who did you speak to? Well, you know, just to give you an insight, we have about the slice of the pie in Ireland is about 1.2 billion a year in what's called Pillar 1 payments. These are the key payments. And then there are what's called Pillar 2 payments, which are about 604 million a year, which are co-financed with Irish state funds. So whichever way you look at it, it's public money. Um, and yeah, I mean, farmers are remarkable in their response 
to being asked to do something. And they've always, I have to say, impressed me in how quick they will adjust to not only taking risks, but also adjust to policy. And we met with a variety of farmers who, you know, would look at the cap and say, look, we're not being supported in our efforts to farm in a more ecologically friendly, sustainable way. And I think that the story of John Kelly's farm in Wicklow is very interesting. He's an intensive dairy farmer. He's got about 350 acres with 250 cows near Blessington. He's very, very uh, clever, uh, you know, very well-regarded farmer who is more aware than most in terms of the need in the future to shift towards more nature-friendly practices. But when he has tried to do that, the money that he's received, the public money he's received via the Department of Agriculture has been cut. And, you know, his experience mirrors farmers who say that their attempts to leave space for nature have been cut. Um, You know, and the reason being that uh, when it comes to parcels of land left for nature, so these are spaces like boglands, ponds, scrubland, native woodland, farmers are told you must have them in agricultural condition. And what that means is effectively you have to get rid of them, fertilize them, grass them. And, you know, uh, that's kind of the, the choice that they have. And I think that, you know, John would say and he did say for the piece that we wrote, you know, any environmental stuff we're doing, we're giving up land that's classified as productive So he said, when I left strips of nettles and thistles for wildlife, they were mapped out for deduction on my farm payment. And the key sentence he said to me was, nothing I do environmentally will pay better than cows. And so as long as you have that uh, in place, the difficulty for farmers like John is that, you know, he will look at nettles and just think that's a problem, as opposed to what he knows to be the case, which is that's a benefit to nature. Right. And that is extremely frustrating for farmers who, you know, they live on the land, they work with the land, they understand the land and and understand what we can get out of it. So they're kind of being forced into this situation where it's it's productive equals good land and um, non-productive, i.e. not an agricultural product um, is biodiverse equals bad because that is what they're being rewarded or penalised by. Nile. that is very much been your experience when you have looked specifically at biodiversity projects right yeah de- definitely i mean we would have spoken for this piece to to several farmers from various different sectors within ireland from you're talking more intensive dairy production uh, in the the southeast up to more extensive hill farmers in galway and mayo uh, spoke with or- organic hemp farmers and tillage farmers as well and across the board like ella said there is a real uh, disappointment I think with the current makeup of CAP and how it isn't really doing enough to support them in their efforts to protect biodiversity on their farm so you know various of these farmers were having different different nature friendly uh, elements to their farm if it's if it's pond having ponds or, or having hedgerows or having scrub peaty soils marshland the way the system is set up they all told me like Ella said there, they're essentially encouraged to take all of these natural features out to maximize the payments they receive from having the land in what is, as Ella described, as good agricultural, good agricultural uh, condition or practice. Um, and that's when you when you hear all those stories, you know, it, it's very it's very tough to hear because those farmers are really trying to do their bit for biodiversity, but they're taking a hit in their payments every year for doing so. 
Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, Ella, so basically we, I mean, we could ask the question, is it more the farmer to blame or the system in which they work? But everything you guys are telling me is pointing me towards the system. Would that be correct? Yeah, I mean, I think the issue of blame isn't helpful when you're talking about farmers. Um, I think it's also important to note, it's hard to know what, you know, quote unquote, farmers think. They're all very different in their approach and style. Um, But I do think that it is eminently clear they are up for a challenge. They'll move in the direction of policy and they also want to do the right thing. I mean, we have to remember they have to live in their communities. They have to pass their farms on to the next generation because we still in Ireland are, you know, lucky that we have a family farming model in general. Um, They do not want to be, you know, polluting rivers with nitrogen, emitting unnecessary methane or slashing hedgerows for wildlife. You know, they want to make a living for their families and they want to live you know, proudly in their community. But if the policy is encouraging them towards doing these things, what choice do they have? I mean, if they're told as they are to do whatever is required to maintain a land in agricultural state or else face financial penalties, they are to a certain extent faced with an impossible choice. Um, You know, farmers, and I would say this particularly of dairy farmers, have taken out a lot of um, loans to, to do what they do. And they have to pay their loans back and they have to make money for their families. And so we have to see it in that context. This is a question of policy and public money and how that can be used in the public interest to make sure there is the best outcome. And I would say in the future, the public is not going to be interested in the intricacies of CAP and who said, you know, he said, she said and all this stuff. They are going to look at the outcomes. Has it worked? What is the state of our climate? What is the state of our biodiversity? And it is on that that the policymakers will be judged. And unfortunately, it is also on that, that that farmers being on the front line will be judged, perhaps unfairly, if the policy isn't right. Absolutely. And I, I think it's time for us to hear from some of these farmers, because Niall, you've been speaking to some who have been doing things in favour of biodiversity, even though, you know, as you're pointing out there, Ella, you know, we're asking farmers to be caretakers of the land, of nature, biodiversity, but we're, we're kind of asking them because of the way the money has been distributed and how they're penalised for not having agricultural outcomes. We're asking them to do a pro bono, essentially, which seems um, absolute, you know, not the way to achieve your outcomes. Niall, will you tell me a little bit about Kevin O'Hanlon, who you met in Carlo? Yeah, so I would have for this story gone down to meet with Kevin O'Hanlon, who is a, a dairy and livestock farmer or mixed livestock farmer in County Carlow. Um, and, you know, he's he is what I would describe as a more uh, your average normal farmer. I don't mean that in the negative way, but he is really, you know, a full time farmer, very much engaged in the community for, you know, it's it's generations and generations of farming. But in essence, he is now pushing against the current current cap system that supports the farming in Ireland because he is trying to do while keeping his farming going at the forefront, like, you know, good production at the forefront of the farm. He does see the value of having nature. So he's allowing some of the, the peaty soils they would have on their land to become wet again. You can see the previous areas on the farm where the drains would have been in place and they're all you know growing back with wildflowers now the 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 water table is rising which is fantastic for for nature but also in terms of of a carbon sink he's also letting scrub so basically what scrub is if you let scrub grow those little bits of life will turn into a, a bit of a native woodland as well so he's letting the scrub grow in places he's letting his hedgerows grow inwards essentially forming wildlife corridors on the edges of his farm for for nature and also again a carbon sink 
However, instead of being rewarded for doing this, he's taking a financial hit every year in his payments. So he's losing the bones of 750 euro a year. It might not sound too much, but as Kevin told me, over 10 years, think about that, that's 7,500 euro over seven, several generations of farming, which he would hope you know, his family can continue into the future. That's a, that's a big financial penalty that, that the future generations face also. Um, and as you'll hear in, in the clip we're going to play now, while he has lost out financially, while he understands that you know future family members may face difficulties in the future, he really wants to keep what he's gained when it comes to nature and sees it as a really important part of the farm and how nature and farming can work together. We we get three grazings here a year, just 27 acres in it and all. And as you said, like there's more of it encroaching every year. Um, the scrub is coming out farther, um, but the cattle kind of keep that bay from the three times they're here. Uh, the pigs come down here in the summertime usually as well. Um, but the reason for keeping it this way is, I suppose, biodiversity. There's a, a fair carbon sink as you walk along. You can feel the ground and there's a give in it. So there's plenty of soakage and there's a good mat of stuff on it. Um, so it's a kind of a carbon sink as well. Um, like as you said, most, lot, well not most, a lot of farmers will come in here and drain this mm-hmm. and put it into PR, PRG, perennial ryegrass. So it's, uh, yeah, for us it's the kind of nature of it. Like the place will be alive with um, songbirds in the morning and um, There'd be an awful lot of wildlife here, foxes and different things, and badgers and uh, rabbits and stuff like that. I don't see the point in in draining the house. Uh, it sounds like Kevin is, is convinced that he has gained a lot there. It sounds absolutely idyllic and bucolic. But again, we are talking about often people who, you know, they've relationships with the banks. We're all, you know, in, indebted to pay back on mortgages and pay for our families and all that kind of stuff. And and. This seems to be a common theme. You also spoke to Kate Carmody, who's a cheese, uh, vegetable and tillage farmer in Kerry. And she has been doing amazing work on her farm. But again, you can hear how tough it is. Will you tell me a little bit about meeting Kate now? Yeah, I'd almost say Kate is almost at the other end of of the line that she is uh, on the organic side, a bit more smaller scale. She she does, of course, have, have... have dairy cows she's doing cheese but she's doing mixed vegetables tillage she's even doing hemp farming so she's a bit different let's say than than the average farmer you'd expect in ireland and despite hitting all those the the, the organic she has a very strong environmental ethos on the farm she's put in ponds put in more trees again letting the hedgerow sort of grow out become thicker and taller taller and becoming almost like little native woodlands uh, doing all these fantastic things for biodiversity but again much like kevin she's taking a financial hit for it every year and again it adds up over time over generations and I think as she described to me it's particularly tough for her um, as you're going to hear in this next clip because she is surrounded by a lot of other farmers and more intensive it's particularly a more intensive intensive dairy who aren't really doing very much uh, at all for nature as she sees it but they are getting their full payments because they're essentially ticking the right boxes. Under the basic payment scheme you'll get paid on the forage area. Yeah. So any type of feature which I would consider very beneficial for wildlife would be penalised. So you end up where, for a farmer like me, where I've created ponds, scrub areas, you know, you have Department of Agriculture, Agriculture officials that would come out and just say, well, look, this is scrub. You can't be paid on that. So systematically, every year, 
your payment would be reduced. Not by much. It could be three or four hundred maybe one year, and then there'd be another 50 euro the next year. That is really, really tough on Kate and other farmers like Kate. You can hear that. And ticking the right boxes is something we keep coming back to here. Ella, I'm going to go back to the C to the A to the P uh, cap. And, you know, we're 2021. We've declared a climate emergency. There isn't any doubt about it. And we are looking at all this cap money, potentially not prioritising the farmers who want to pay a very vital contribution to reversing that climate emergency. What is being said by politicians here and in Europe on this situation? I mean, I think that... um... At the moment, 2023 to 2027 cap is being uh, negotiated across Europe and the Department of Agriculture have published their strategic plan and people have been invited to give their comments on it and they have done so. Um, And, and, you know, you speak to various, you know, sectors and they would say this is a, you know, there has never been a more important cap than this one. I mean, this because of the urgency of what we are in, uh, we need to get it right uh, and, you know, I was interested earlier this week, CEOs from large transnational companies such as Unilever and H&M wrote to governments in advance of COP in Glasgow to urge them to direct public subsidies in a way that, you know, restores nature. And they said there will be no business on a dead planet. Um, now, you know, that a scientist would say we've been saying that for decades, but, you know, they're now saying that. Uh, and I think that's very clear that it is good business to make sure that we get this right. And there is an awful lot of money at play. I think the Department of Agriculture should be commended in, you know, there are aspects of the um, the proposed cap in Ireland that are going to be beneficial. I mean, the particular question about eligibility. So, you know, what can you get payments on? Uh, it seems that they've proposed to allow up to 30% of a land parcel to consist of features that will benefit climate and biodiversity to be considered eligible for payment. And I think that should be hugely welcomed. But I think, you know, in the last week, something has emerged that I, I think is, is a, perhaps a slightly worrying indication for anyone who is interested in how their money is being spent um, in terms of um, the space for nature. So in July, the department published their strategic plan and in it was a condition that in order for farmers to get a payment, they need a minimum share of 5% of agricultural land. Now, that um, it means that 5% of their land has to be given to nature. Um, now, in September 30th, they published that this had been reduced by a fifth uh, to 4%, which is the absolute legal minimum set by the EU. Um, and one has to ask whether this is in, the, is in any way going to benefit and address what the government has declared in 2019, a biodiversity and climate crisis, will it in the long term benefit farmers who, as I say, have to live in their communities and farm and have to have a social license to farm? And who does it benefit? Who does it benefit to reduce the amount of space for nature on farms? Is it a good use of public money? Um, And I think that, you know, it is very critical that we get to the heart of this um, and and make sure that... um, the power of lobbyists on every side, on every side of it, um, is not greater than the what is at play here, which is the public interest. And I'm not sure you'll find a scientist who will say that in order for us to urgently address the climate and uh, biodiversity crises, it is a good thing to reduce by a fifth 
the amount of space for nature on farms when it comes to public money being spent. The idea that we would only be doing the absolute minimum that we can do, that just doesn't feel like the effort that we need to be making on this um, subject. Niall, you spoke to MEP Grace O'Sullivan and she really feels that Ireland needs to get ahead of the cap issue. I mean, just tell me very briefly what she said about that, particularly around how much of the funds have been ring-fenced for nature and climate action uh, in the in the new cap um you know proposals yeah i think grace is very firm that there's a, a a real opportunity here for us to grasp the issue with two hands in ireland and ensure that as ella was saying there is a, a large pot there's about 25 percent of funds under the new cap that is supposed to be ring fenced for climate action and biodiversity protection measures so we do have control ella talked about it in very great detail at start we have control over a lot of the aspects in cap in ireland through the department of agriculture so we can make sure we design you know, our cap schemes to reward farmers for that nature protection. So in the past, we've had a lot of payments for what would be prescriptive agroecological or agroenvironmental schemes where farmers are basically paid for taking an action to put in the example, say, of a bird box or a bat box, but they weren't actually paid on the results achieved. So it didn't matter, actually, if you got the birds in or the bats, you'd still be paid. Various studies have shown that these are just tinkering at the edges with very little um, positive impact for biodiversity uh, at all. So that really needs to change. And the experts say that. And there is something positive coming, I think, in the future direction. There are these new locally led on farm results based biodiversity schemes where you have ecologists working alongside farmers side by side. And the farmers, you know, there's training, there's engagement, they're told and they learn to understand in particular why they should take these actions to protect species. They get to learn the problems and ecologists get to learn from the farmers as well. And the farmers get paid on the results that they achieve rather than just the action they take. There's very good signs this is going to be the future for the agro-environmental payments in Ireland. And that's a very, very strong development. And hopefully that will be leading to much better results, both for the farmer and for nature. So results based outcomes makes absolute sense. Um, And we are looking at 2023, Ella, you mentioned with cap reform and you're saying the proof is going to be in the pudding there. But we've all talked about change, but change rapidly and change that's comprehensive and well supported. And it's going to take a big effort from all parties involved to make the cap work for farmers and the environment and agricultural sectors. Um, Ella, do you do you believe this is possible? Please tell me it's possible. I mean, it, it, it of course is possible. And, and, you know, we have some excellent examples of, for example, in the Burren uh, Life Project or in um, Cork in the Bride Project, where a group of conventional intensive farmers got together, headed by Donald Sheehan, who's a dairy farmer, um, and Tony Nagel, who's an ecologist, and they have decided just to do it themselves. And they've got, you know, European money co-funded by the Department of Agriculture to get a cohort of farmers in the Bride Valley to shift towards more ecological way of farming while maintaining their profits. It works. It absolutely works. And it is possible to farm in a way that I think farmers know and would historically have always farmed in Ireland. You know, we are lucky in Ireland compared to most of Europe. We still have reasonably good water quality. We still have, you know, a grass-based system. You know, so I think that we have to make sure that this highly contested space um, comes out in the public interest. I mean, I do think in general, the lobbyists in the past have been used to getting their way, 
but climate and nature have kind of brought farming into the public realm a lot more. There's greater spotlight on how our money is being spent. We need to make sure that along with listening to the economists and along with listening to the, to the lobbyists, we listen to the scientists and we keep at the forefront the public interest in terms of how this money is being um, spent. And scientists are very clear, we do not have much time left. I would finally say that we need to think about the role of the farmer as being a lot greater than just producing food. And I think this is very exciting for farmers, potentially. You know, they own the land, they look after the land, they can provide us with clean air and water, they can protect us from flooding, they can be the home for a plethora of wildlife. Um, and, you know, we need to make sure that we reward them for that. Farmers that I've spoken to are up for it. They're willing to do it. They're, you know, I would say they want, very much want to do it. The key question is, will the policy um, enable them to do that? And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, as I keep saying, this is public money that is being spent. We need to make sure that the public interest is served in that uh, spending of the money. Fantastic, Ella. I mean, we're looking here at political will, um, financial supports and potentially a new exciting role for the farmer, one that potentially is in our DNA and our collective memory, so should be achievable. Niall and Ella, thank you so much for joining us for not making the cap something I want to tune out of, um, helping us understand and hopefully flagging a way forward for Ireland's agricultural economy in the in the light of the changes that we have around the environment and the need to act. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of The Explainer brought to you by us at noteworthy.ie. It was produced by the lovely Laura Byrne. And if you want to learn more about our work at Noteworthy and how we source our stories from you, our readers and listeners, head over to our site at noteworthy.ie. If you email us at information at noteworthy.ie, and I'll man this email myself, we will send you out our newsletter, which gives an insider look at the latest investigations coming out from us. Thanks for having us and see you with our next project.